with you uh, to the book of Acts. We've been in this series. We did the first seven chapters uh, last year and then had a break doing a couple other series and now have finished chapter 8 and are turning the page to chapter 9 today. Last week, uh, I think a powerful call from God's Word. I was convicted and uh, got to hear at least one very encouraging story and I'm trusting that God continues to be at work as we are challenged to do the work of personal evangelism, sharing the gospel one-to-one as Philip did with the Ethiopian eunuch there at the end of Acts chapter 8. But maybe as you think about that work of personal evangelism, maybe there's somebody that God has brought to your mind, like, oh, I have to share the gospel with this person. But maybe you kind of like shrugged that off because it seems like that person is beyond God's saving power. Now, I know you don't really think that. Like, you wouldn't say that out loud. We know in our minds it's not true that a person might be beyond God's saving power. But I think sometimes we look at certain people and we're like, man, I know them. (laughs) And it seems in our minds that it might seem hopeless. We can't imagine them being anything than they are right now. By the time we get to Acts chapter 9, we have heard of how the work of Jesus has continued through Holy Spirit-empowered disciples who are proclaiming the gospel while God does the work of saving people in Jerusalem and now in Judea and Samaria. And ultimately, we know his plan is to do this with people to the ends of the earth. That's what we're seeing in the book of Acts. We've been introduced to all sorts of different characters, and one that we've only been slightly introduced to is this man named Saul. If you flip back really quick in your Bible to Acts chapter 7, verse 58, verse 58, then they cast him out of the city. This is at the stoning of Stephen and stoned him. And it says, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul overseeing this execution, this unjust execution of a man who had the boldness to proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then, again, there at the first verse in chapter 8 is this, and Saul approved of his execution. And then in verse 3 of chapter 8, but Saul was ravaging the church. Remember, we talked about that word meaning kind of like what would be done typically to a wild beast who had been killed, that, that it was ravaged, torn apart. This is what Saul, this is our introduction to Saul This is what he was about, ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Despicable, evil behavior. What what kind of hope is there for a man like that? Well, let's turn to Acts chapter 9 and see. If you're able to, would you stand as we read the very word of God? Let's pray first. Uh, Father, just as your spirit worked through the doctor and his story in Luke to give us an account of these things that we might know that Jesus continues to work through Holy Spirit-empowered disciples. I thank you that your Holy Spirit continues uh, to work even now. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would work as your word is read and then as I seek to help us to not only understand but we work at applying. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would work as we reflect on these things alone and as our life groups meet Uh, to walk through application of some of these things throughout the week. God, may your spirit work in us, in this church, in this community, in other churches in this community, in such a way that more and more people here are being converted. People who are blind 
getting sight, people who are dead coming alive. And if, you, uh, if there's a work that needs to be done like that in somebody even standing here right now this morning, I pray that your spirit would be pleased to do it and that we would rejoice for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So God's word in Acts chapter 9 says this, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. (laughs) But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. You can be seated. So there in your bulletin, there would be a a sermon notes and life group guide. And again, if you're not in a life group, I'd still encourage you to use that, uh, whether in your own family or on your own or as you get together with a friend sometime this week. Here's the big idea of today's passage, I think. God can transform those who oppose Jesus into his instruments to carry his name to all peoples. God can transform those who oppose him into his instruments to carry his name to all peoples. So I already read the short little introduction that Luke has given us to Saul from chapter 7 and chapter 8. And we get a little more of a glimpse of Saul before Christ in verses 1 and 2. Okay? Most of what we know about this man, also named Paul, is, is who he is as an apostle. There's only a little glimpse of what we get of his life before Christ. And verses 1 and 2 give us a little more of that. Putting this all in context, there's men like Philip out and about in Judea and Samaria proclaiming the gospel, God saving all sorts of people. And at the, in the meantime... Here's what Saul is up to, verses 1 and 2. But Saul, so there's a contrast between what we saw at the end of chapter 8 with Philip proclaiming the gospel everywhere he went on the way to Caesarea, the Ethiopian eunuch going back home to rejoice, but at the same time, 
We're not just seeing the expansion of the gospel in Acts, we're also seeing opposition. And that opposition is coming from men of power and influence like Saul. So Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, which are those who are following Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, uh, a phrase we'll see again later, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So, so just as we've seen in Acts, the gospel starting there in Jerusalem and exploding there and is spreading out to Judea and Samaria, so now Saul's work of stopping the spread of the gospel, which was at first focused in Jerusalem, is now wanting to spread far beyond that. So Saul, seeking to bring his mission to bear outside of Jerusalem as well. He wants to get these letters and presumably gets them because he starts on his way to Damascus. We see that in verse 3. And in verse 3, everything shifts because Saul is now going to encounter Jesus. Verse 3 says, As he went on his way, he approached Damascus. So that journey, uh, a little less than 150 miles, and uh, he's almost there. Suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him. So, so imagine yourself being there. Uh, if you, uh, you know, grew up going to Sunday school, you might have like a flannel graph image of, of Saul kind of falling over on the road and a bright light, and he's doing this with his eyes, maybe from a picture that you've seen on, on something you took home from Sunday school at one point. But, but picture this. He's on his way, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. So what does he see? He sees a light. And falling to the ground, he hears something. What does he hear? He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I love the way Pastor Tony Morita put it. He said this, Saul had thought he was on a righteous mission to eradicate followers of this very person, but now he's quivering on the ground before the blinding glory of Christ, and he's made aware that he's on the wrong team. You know, interesting, isn't it, the way that Jesus talks to Saul? Jesus is taking this very personally say. Jesus is so identifying. Jesus, the head of the church, so identifying with the body of Christ that as Saul is carrying out these murders and threats against the body of Christ, it's Jesus who says, you're persecuting who? Me. This is Jesus identifying with his church. So Saul encounters Jesus. But I was thinking about this this week as well. You know, this isn't really the first encounter then that Saul has had with Jesus. Certainly the first time I think that Saul has heard the voice of Jesus, but Saul has had encounters with Jesus because Jesus, again, so equating himself with his body, with the church, says to Saul, you're persecuting me. See, Saul has seen the body of Christ up close and personal. Saul got to see this when Stephen is being stoned to death. And he hears Stephen saying things just like Jesus said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
When he sees Stephen saying, Stephen saying things like, he said at the end of chapter 7, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, and also, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Paul was there to see that. Paul got to see the body of Christ as in Jerusalem he would go into homes and tear men and women away from their homes, binding them and bringing them to prison, assuming he probably asked them to denounce their faith in Jesus and failing to do so, he would arrest them. He saw the body of Christ earlier and now he's hearing the voice of Jesus himself who identifies himself with the church saying, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Saul, the persecutor of Jesus and his body, was on the way to Damascus to do what he thought his purpose was, persecute believers, bind them and bring them back to Jerusalem. But now he's encountered Jesus. And what does Jesus say to do? Well, verse 6, But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. So what's Saul going to do? Look at verse 8 and 9. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Anybody can be humbled by an encounter with Jesus. John Stott put it this way. He said, He who had expected to enter Damascus in the fullness of his pride and prowess as a self-confident opponent of Christ was actually led into it, humbled and blinded, a captive of the very Christ that he had opposed. Pause for application. Church, who, who in your mind seems so opposed to Jesus that you can't imagine them being transformed. Maybe it's a high-profile person like Saul was, someone notorious like Saul was. Maybe, you know, pops into your mind some Planned Parenthood executive, somebody who's spent their whole life kind of filling the next generation's mind with all kinds of lies and filth. I read a short story this week from a man named Todd Nettleton of Voice of the Martyrs. He told of a man named Abdul Masi. Abdul Masi, a radical Muslim um, in northern Nigeria, which is where our missions partners, the Oye Bodies, are. They're more in central Nigeria, but this man lived close. You know that uh, Abdul Masi's nickname was Mr. Insecticide. Why they called them that? They called them that because they referred to Christians as bugs. And if you had a bug problem and needed them exterminated, you would call Abdul Masi. He was your guy. Abdul Masi set car bombs, burned down the homes of Christians. One time after having organized the burning of a church building, when it was all done, he came back to that site to gloat over his work. And when he arrived at that site, he saw a group of believers. He saw the body of Christ gathered together in the charred ruins of that building. And they were praising Jesus. God seemed to stir something up in his heart at that point. But it wasn't until six years later that he heard the gospel, 
was convicted of sin by the Holy Spirit and put his faith in Jesus. When his radical Islamic friends heard of this, they sought to kill him. They couldn't find him, though, and so they murdered his son. Abdul Masih said this, There is no sacrifice too big for God. Even losing my son is not too big for God who sent his son to die to save me. This is a man transformed. What kind of encounters, church, do we want to have with people who are opposed to the gospel to have with the body of Christ? What kind of encounters do we, those, those who are opposed to the gospel, maybe we don't know anybody like Abdul Masi. We don't have anybody burning down our church building. But his encounter with the body of Christ was not, oh, these are the people that are opposed to me. These are the people that praise Jesus in a burned church building. Do we want those who are now opposed to Christ to know Christians primarily as the ones who see them as our enemies in a culture war that we're trying to win? Or do we want them to see us as ones who worship and serve a Lord who told us to pray for those who persecute us and to love our enemies? Are we willing to pray that others would have a genuine encounter with Jesus? God was saving Saul. And later on, Paul would say this to Timothy. I know why God saved me. This is what our memory verse was that Ryan and Jeanette read earlier. 1 Timothy 1, starting in verse 15, says, This saying is trustworthy. This is Paul writing this. And deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason. That in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Now, there's another character we're going to be introduced to that's going to come into this story. Let's look quickly at him. There's a believer in Damascus named Ananias. He is a willing servant of the Lord, it seems, at first. And so, here's what it says, verse 10. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision. So, he's also going to be having a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus says, Ananias. And he says, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying and he is seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Right? So, so that first response of Ananias seems to be the right response when, when he hears the voice of Jesus. His answer is, here I am, Lord. And then the Lord gives him his mission. Here's what you're to do. You go to Saul's house. Well, here's the problem. Ananias has been on social media. He's heard... He's heard about Saul's reputation. He knows what this man does. He, he knows that this is a man not to go enjoy coffee with, but a man to be feared. And so here's what it says. Here's his response in verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here... He has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So somehow word had gotten out that, that Saul had collected these letters and had authority from the chief priest to come and do this evil work. 
opposing the, the spread of the gospel there in Damascus. And, and Ananias already knows about it. So when Jesus tells Ananias, you go to the house where he's staying and you lay hands on him that he might regain his sight and receive the Holy Spirit, his answer is, uh, right? Really? Is he going to do it? I mean, he thinks he knows him, right? I love verses 15 and 16. He says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Jesus argues back with Ananias. Listen, you think you know him because you know his history. You don't, you don't know him just because you know his history, right? God, God's had a plan for Saul that goes beyond the enemy's plan for Saul. Saul certainly has been a, a, a tool, an instrument in the hand of the enemy to destroy and to ravage the church, right? But what God is saying here, what Jesus is saying here to Ananias himself is he's my chosen instrument. He's going to be the one who carries my name to the ends of the earth. Children of Israel, Gentiles alike, he's going to be the one who does it. And so I brought a tool, okay? Instrument, tool, same kind of word, right? So I brought this hammer, and a hammer can be used for a number of different purposes. Not a carpenter, but I do know how to use one of these. There's a lot of things I don't know how to use. I knew how to use one of these, and I know you can use it for different purposes. This, this part here is often used for destroying things. This part here can also be used to destroy things. One of the most fun jobs I had for like a day or two while I was in college is I got to, uh, there, there was somebody had tried uh, to, to burn something in town and needed to be to- taken down. I don't know how the guy got my name, but he's like, can you come and just swing a hammer uh, and, and, and take this whole, like take this structure down? So I got to go into this structure that had been burned and just start wailing on it, right? A hammer can be used for that purpose. And if this is the church of Jesus Christ rapidly expanding in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and, and God's plan is for it to go to the ends of the earth, what, what Saul was in his life up until now is the one who would take that and just destroy it, right? Taking it and, and doing whatever he could to stop... I can't do it. Uh, not as good as Saul. Saul was good at it. But he's destroying it. I didn't test this out ahead of time. He's destroying it, okay? There we go. And it's crumbling. And now God is saying, no, 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 no. That's not all that he is. That's his history. But he is my chosen instrument. Because hammers also are used for a very different purpose. He is my chosen instrument. He's going to carry my name to the ends of the earth. And so... So the church is that once was being destroyed by him is now going to be built by him. And it might be starting small, right? You know, we can even uh, put this on there. Goes in the center, I think. Yeah. Right? He's, he's going to pound that in there. And all of a sudden, the one who was once bent on destroying the church is going to be the same instrument used by God to carry his name to even the ends of the earth. That's what we're going to get to see in the weeks ahead as we walk through the rest of this. But before we get to that, is Ananias going to do it? Because that sounds scary. Verse 17, let's look at it. Verse 17 says this, 
So Ananias departed and entered the house. I wonder if before he left, if he was married, he made sure to say, I love you to his wife. I don't know if I'm coming back. Jesus just told me to go to Saul's house. You remember that guy? Saul? It's like, you're going to Saul? You're going to go, right? And he goes. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him. Man, I wonder if that hand was trembling, right? As he, as he does what Jesus told him to do, laying his hands on him. The one who had laid his hands on all sorts of believers for evil. And now he's called by God to lay his hands on him. Listen to what he says to him. Brother Saul. Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This man named Saul, whose purpose it was, whose purpose it had been to destroy the church and to do whatever he could to impede the spread of the gospel, has a brand new purpose. He is an instrument chosen by God to carry his name to the nations. This man, who was once opposed to, he was tearing families apart, ripping men and women out of their homes and committing them to prison. Now, The kind of guy like he was coming to bind and take to Jerusalem, Ananias is laying his hands on him and calling him brother as he receives the Holy Spirit. Church, do we really believe, do we really believe that even though we know somebody's history, that we don't know everything about them? We don't know what God's plan might be for them in the years ahead? I think this is maybe even especially dangerous in a small town. Right? You've been here for a while, like, oh, I know that guy. I know her. I know the family they come from. And we kind of get this idea in our mind, like, well, that's just who they are. Like, they're never going to change. Right? Do we ever stop and pause and recognize that God might have a totally different plan for their future? Do we believe that God could take a person who scares us, a person who seems to be hopeless, and that he can pick them up? We're headed this way. Right? pick them up and turn them around giving them a whole new purpose opposed to Jesus and now the other direction sold out for Jesus do we believe that God can do that transforming work like he did in Saul's life Saul's trajectory was flipped he did a 180 Saul's allegiance was flipped the man who once hated believers now loves them and I was thinking about that this week and just reading through. I was thinking about, you know, so Paul wrote 13 of the 27 letters in the New Testament, or 27 books of the New Testament. And uh, I was just thinking of all the ways that Paul talks to and about the church in those. This guy who once hated them so much, he was committing them to prison, dragging them out of their homes, overseeing executions. Listen to the way he talks to, like, the church in Philippi. In, in Philippians chapter 1, he says, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He loves the church. I love it in, later in Acts chapter 20. He had spent some time with the elders in Ephesus, a good deal of time, and he's going to say goodbye, meeting up with them. And later, we'll get to this in Acts chapter 20, Luke writes this, And when he had said these things, this is Paul, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. 
the, the, the picture of Ananias, once afraid of Saul, now laying his hands on him and calling him brother because God has revealed to him the plans that he has for Saul. That's a, that's a beautiful picture. And so, church, I hope that we are expecting to and ready to embrace all that God calls to himself, regardless of their history. Knowing that God really can take anyone headed in one direction and give them a brand new purpose and a brand new family in Christ. Uniting us, uniting them not only to Christ, but uniting them also then to the body of Christ that we would then call them brother or sister, just like Ananias does here with Saul. So, we got two more verses, though, that we're going to look at uh, today before we take communion together. Verses 18 and 19. It says this in verse 18, And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Now, Paul had only been physically blind for three days, right? But Paul had been spiritually blind his entire life, right? Spiritually blind. That's, remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. And we talked about, the, it says in verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 4, the little g God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Right? That's what's happened. The, the, we, we come into the world born spiritually blind, spiritually dead, unable to like earn our way into a right relationship with the Father. Saul, Saul was a, a really... Uh, observant lawkeeper, a very religious man. He was zealous. You can read his own kind of explanation of part of his testimony in Philippians chapter 3. But God came and did something. He said, let there be light. He, he took a dead man and made him alive. He took a blind man and made him see. There's something like scales that fall off of his eyes. He regains his sight. He rose and was baptized. Now, we don't get from Luke every detail of what happened as Saul was converted, but it's pretty clear as we go forward that Saul has experienced conversion. Isn't it good to know <laughs> that God can take even the chief of sinners opposed to Jesus and transform him into an instrument of God to be used for his purposes? In just a moment, we're going to take communion.